Welcome to this episode of Bob Cooney's VR Deep Dive Podcast. In this series, Bob connects you with some of the leading innovators and thinkers in location-based VR. Hey, everybody. It is Bob. It is 5 a.m. here in Sydney, Australia. I am just beginning cup number two. Sorry about the bags in the eyes. (laughs) I want to welcome Michael Bridgman from Major Media. Say hi. Major Mega. Hello. Major Mega. See? See, it's too early. Before we start the (laughs) webinar. We were just talking about being a media, like kind of an age, a media agency. Well, I was thinking media agencies as you were talking about activations, but we're gonna get into that. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. No, my pleasure. I think you guys were so just a little bit of background from my perspective. IAPL last year, 2018, back in the parking lot tents where they stuck a lot of the new <laughs> exhibitors. I stumbled upon you guys and you were having, we should, we'll talk, we should talk about that too, you know, because I've done a lot of trade shows and you guys were having an interesting trade show and stumbled upon your hyper deck and was really kind of surprised and impressed. So I think the world should know about what you guys are up to. And so thanks for joining. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. We've been pretty stealthy. Uh, about this whole thing, which, you know, is something that needs to change. So this is an early step of, of many and in, in putting ourselves out there. So, yeah, it was um, um, a lot of companies are, you know, hyping up their stuff well before it's ready. And yeah, you guys have been a little quiet. What's the thinking behind that? Because you weren't well, totally stealthy. You went to IAPA, right? So it's not like it's a yeah. secret now, right? So. Well, honestly, I think the simplest answer is that we're mostly bootstrapped. We didn't raise millions and millions of dollars. And, you know, as we'll get into, it's kind of been an evolution, not necessarily this spark. It was like the hyperdeck, let's make it, let's raise money and make it. It was kind of this thought experiment that we really massaged over time and, you know, slowly evolved into. So I, I think because of that slow emergence, we're finally getting to the point now that we've proven the model, we've proven the product. And this year, we've just begun our go-to-market strategy. So I think you'll be hearing a, a lot more about us. Cool. Can we talk about go-to? I love talking about go-to-market strategy. That's my jam. So. <laughs> you want to talk about Not it right, right now? now? I'll, okay. we'll, warm I'll warm you up. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So, so you guys have a really interesting background, right? So you're a... What are you? What is Major Mega? So we started out as a, a pretty basic digital media agency basically doing websites, landing pages, Twitter, interactive campaigns. We started getting into some more fun, complex stuff like uh, video games that promoted album launches. And we found ourselves in this really awesome niche in the entertainment industry doing digital campaigns for Justin Timberlake albums, perfume launches for Rihanna, book launches for Nicholas Sparks. And from an outside perspective, it was probably like, you know, we were having an amazing time doing Rockstar's websites, but Deep down inside, I think Sean and I, Sean is my co-founder. We still wanted to do our own thing. We didn't want to keep doing other people's visions. So that was kind of the beginning of the Hyperdeck and, and wanting to create our own thing. And uh, we were pretty early adopters of VR and began experimenting with it shortly after the Oculus uh, Kickstarter. Mm. And I mean, we were taking car battery jump packs and making portable free roaming VR experiments before VR backpacks was even a, you know, a thing. But I, I, I forgot the original question. I've gone so well, far. Just, down just, I'm, I'm just kind of talking about where you came from and, and yeah. the history of the company and 
and how you got into you know VR, and I think you're answering that. So yes, well, there was a moment where we did a video game for Katy Perry's producer, where she was shooting lasers out of her breasts going down the boardwalk, and it was just this zany. Yeah, well, it was just this really weird. Super well, you're Katy fun. Perry, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, waking up every morning and working on that game, it kind of felt like we were kids on summer vacation. You know, when you're in school, it's like getting up is the hardest thing ever. And then on, in summer vacation, it's like, boom, you're up and out the door building your treehouse. And working on that game just felt like summer vacation as a kid. And we're like, dude, we're entrepreneurs. We're business owners. Why aren't we crafting our business to create this feeling every day? Wow. So we actually, the first step was saying, we're only going to take video game projects. And we said no to a lot of websites, a lot of other stuff. And only said yes to video games. And it got, you know, it got, uh, it was a nail biter. You know, we questioned ourselves a lot. But at the end of the day, we, we picked up a couple big projects uh, in the edutainment sphere and found ourselves as a video game company. And then it was shortly after that that the, the Oculus Kickstarter came out. You know, we started experimenting with VR. And we realized that, you know, this was definitely something we wanted to be a part of. And we saw the obviousness of it being the future medium. And yeah. we wanted to do something with it. And at the same time, we were actually flirting with the idea of opening up a barcade. You know, they're really popular now in big cities. But, you know, you serve craft beer and you put up retro arcade machines and it seems to be working Just really like that, well. Just like that, you make a bunch of money, right? It's- yeah, yeah. It's so easy. <laughs> so we were flirting with that idea and we we're like, well, why did our arcade machines die off anyway? Like, what would it take to get people out of the house and pay for a premium gaming experience that they could never dream of at home. And it was that thought experiment that we kind of asked ourselves over and over again. And I remember seeing the trailer for The Void when it first came out. And I was like, damn, there it is. Like, that's it. And, you know, we just kind of ran with that thought experiment, started putting our own twists on it, and um, somehow ended up with the hyperdeck. But in the middle there, which we can get into a little bit deeper, we started tackling the problem of, of motion sickness specifically. Because early on, I think everybody recognized that there's this huge glaring problem with VR and that you can't take an existing title from a console and shove it into a VR headset and it's going to work. And without solving motion sickness, it's, it's a huge limitation as to what kind of experiences you can create. Yeah, and that's been one of the big challenges. And the thing that I love is there are so many approaches to solving that problem, right? From, yeah. from large free roam spaces where you just have a one-to-one locomotion ratio to teleportation, to, you know, some of the new stuff that the Servios is working on where you swing your arms to create a walking yeah. motion. And that, you know, mm-hmm. that's enough to try to trick your brain into thinking that you're, that, so that's in Creed where, where you run like this. And um, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but, you know, they're expanding upon that mo- teleportation motion. And, and, um, and I've done some early demos. It's really interesting. And so, and then all of these, like the Omni treadmills, which, you know, evolved mm-hmm. over time and cat VR and stuff like that. So, there's a lot of ways to solve it. How did you approach it uniquely? Because obviously your solution is quite unique in my opinion. Yeah, I think we wanted to do super thrilling stuff, stuff that you couldn't do as a human, you know? So it's mm-hmm. not just walking in place or whatever. It's skiing down a mountain at 60 miles an hour or flying through a city at, at 100 miles an hour. And part of that equation is the environmental effects that happen when you do that level of thrill. And some of our early experiments were simply with just vibration and wind. 
And we wanted to see how far we could push the minimal amount of effect. So we just took some butt kickers. You know what butt kickers are? Like low frequency transducers. People put them on their furniture. Yeah, and shake. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It gives you a, seat, a good solid rumble. Yeah. That's actually what Radon is using in their total recoil gun okay. that they did. Yeah, because you can get quite a bit of... Yeah, so quite quite a few deep forces from those things. Yeah. Well, and it's neat too because it works off sound. So, oh, you want it to feel like an explosion? Send a wave file of an explosion. You know, it's it's pretty cool yeah. in that regard. But so we started by just putting some butt kickers on a floor and some box fans from Home Depot and made a controller out of Sean MacGyvered these steel pipes into a controller. I mean, I hope most of your viewers are familiar with MVP, the minimum viable product. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. we were MVP. Which is generally a software term. You don't usually see that in hardware, but you see yeah. a lot in software. Well, yeah. So we found that with vibration and wind, you know, we did some purling noise to make random road bumps and, and things like that. And what's that? Our first, For everybody, what's that? I forget. Not everybody's a programmer. Purling yeah. noise is a, an equation used a lot to generate uh, noise that never repeats, but also doesn't feel... It feels truly random because even when you use traditional random functions, a lot of times it doesn't feel organic. So Perlin noise is like an organic way to get a set of random information. Um, okay. And how did you use that? In this- so we found that when you're moving, I don't want to give away too much, but we're wired to find patterns, right? It's kind of how humans work, noticing patterns. And sometimes yeah. we see patterns where they're not because we're looking so hard. But when you notice patterns... And what you feel while you're in VR, you can kind of go numb to it in a certain sense. And using Perlin noise was a way to make it feel like, okay, this is a real highway I'm on because it's not this segment that's repeating over and over again that would feel otherwise artificial. So the first experience puts you on top of an 18-wheeler and you're on the back of it with this huge magnet gun and you are using it to suck off car parts like the hood, the doors, the roof. And then you shoot the car part back at the cars and create, you know, all kinds of traffic mayhem. And what we found with that is as long as you didn't accelerate, decelerate, or turn left and right, you did not get motion sickness. But the minute you start doing those other things, your body is expecting some kind of G-force. And so... For the second prototype, we evolved it into uh, a system with linear actuators, which are basically just table legs that move up and down. And you put those on all four corners of the platform, and suddenly you've got what's called three degrees of freedom, which means you can roll, you can pitch, and then you can heave straight up and down. And so with three degrees of freedom, we were able to create a system that allows you to basically do whatever you want within reason. There are still limits to what you can experience. You know, you can't do a, a super sharp turn in hundred miles an hour, but within reason, the sky's the limit. So once we had that, we knew that this was the product and this is what we needed to build out. And it was at that point, we knew we actually did need a little bit of cash. So we had bootstrapped it up until that point with our, with our agency revenue, but we rented out a second unit. It was in the back of the Jimmy John's sandwich shop. You had to like suck in your gut and squeeze between these dumpsters to get in the secret entrance. And it smelled like bread, but it was cheap and it was big enough to fit our platform. And we just threw parties there. We had the news come out. We had everybody we could think of that might know an investor or invest themselves. And uh, I'll never forget the email I got from this guy named uh, Jay Miller, 
And it was like this one run on sentence, like the whole paragraph. God bless you, Jay, if you can hear me. But uh, <laughs> I was like, who is this guy? You know, definitely not a candidate. Well, I'll give him I'll give him a call back. And he came out and was a much different person than his email led on to be. And he brought his wife and his son. Actually, a really quick side note. Originally, it was going to be just Jay coming out. And uh, one of our advisors, I, I always consider it the best piece of advice I ever got. Asked, said, ask if he has a kids or a wife and tell them to come out because they're going to be a bigger cheerleader than he ever could be. So he brought a 16-year-old gamer son and his wife and they did it. Their minds were blown. And 24 hours later, you know, he called me and said, my son has not stopped talking about his experience. We want to talk further. So Jay came on as full-time partner and CFO and closed our seed round. And then we spent about a year going from this basement prototype to what you see behind me. Yeah. And so we've got a video I'm going to, we've teed up. Let me go ahead and show and um, give people an idea of what it is that they might've experienced. Maybe. Similar. Are you guys seeing that? Because I'm not seeing it. I've got a shit internet connection apparently. I see it. That was so okay, cool. much fun. It's not just your vision. When you get the heat, when you have the wind, you feel it. I mean, it's, it, you're like completely there. The parts where it's just you moving and you feel the air against you, it felt like you were actually moving. The warfare aspect of grabbing a piece of metal from something and then bam! So I think I'm seeing it <laughs> out of sequence. So I'm seeing it before. Um, I'm seeing it late. I've got about a 30 second delay. So let me know when it's over. Flying into outer space. Oh my gosh. It really does take you to another place where you forget where you are and you are in that game. There's no game that I've ever played that would compare to how real it feels. And you're not just like playing a game, you're actually there, part of it. And you sort of feel like you're on a team. Like we're working together to like conquer these guys. So Let's go cool. on. You did do it. <laughs> this is like <Woo>! epic. <laughs> I never felt sick or nauseous or anything remotely like that. Before this, I think virtual reality like freaked me out. I didn't know what it was, and I felt like it would disconnect us. But really, it was like a team thing. Yeah. It was bonding. Yeah. One yeah. of the most yeah. exciting experiences of my life. And when I stayed in the same place the whole time. It really was. It's like the best quote we could ask for right there. <laughs> I don't know if you caught that, Bob. Yeah, that was. It's probably coming up in a second. The one thing I, I forgot to talk about that we added was the heat factor, which obviously doesn't contribute to motion sickness, but. It's something that I didn't expect people to like as much as they do. There's some people that get off and just are blown away by the heat. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty cool, but did you see, feel the wind? You know. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how different people will react to different elements of it. And so, like, what made you? Let's talk about haptics a little bit, right? So, sure. You mentioned the void and kind of that. You know, their video when they first started, kind of hyping what they're doing and. You know, and the fact that they're mapping the environment is a lot of what I what I'll call environmental haptics, right? You get all of that. What made you go in so hard? Like you guys kind of have this 
almost extreme version of, you know, the amount of motion and the force of the wind and, and stuff like that. And so you guys kind of have taken a bit of an extreme move in that direction. Talk about the theory behind that and how you landed on that decision. Well, I think the biggest thing is that, well, I, maybe the easiest way to say it is why not? But the real reason is because, you know, with VR, we see it as a chance to do things we could never dream of, right? And you can create experiences that you could never dream of with a one-to-one free roam situation, but I could never stand on the back of an 18-wheeler at 60 miles an hour and feel the explosion from my missile, you know, rock the whole thing. I mean, that's, that's just insanity. And to us, that was way more appealing than slowly walking around, you know, a room, which can be fun. And I've had great experiences like that. So I'm, you know, I'm not trying to, to knock other experiences, but I just think, you know, Sean is like basically a pro skateboarder. You know, I never rode it. I bought a dirt bike having never ridden it before and drove it across the entire US on dirt roads. Like, I think we were just drawn to adrenaline and just mm. upping the, the thrill wherever we could. So many times we've gone to these 5D rides or, you know, they say they have wind effects and it's literally like a five inch fan or something like that. I just think we want it to be truly an environment effect, not a special effect, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good point. Look, and I think a lot of people that are doing haptics, it's about deepening the immersion and it, and the little subtle things, a five inch fan actually can deepen the immersion. But in your case, it feels like you are going after more of a thrill ride experience, but doing it in a way that feels really natural. My problem with motion, and I think we talked about this at IAPA when I did the demo, my problem with motion is most people use it to try to create a thrill ride, not to deepen the immersion. And that's mm -hmm. where I find you can get really, you know, I'm really sensitive to motion sickness and didn't get any of that. And from your thing, so you found this kind of sweet spot between, you know, more extreme feedback and haptics and, and a thrill ride without making it uncomfortable. And I was really impressed with that. Thank you. And I'll say, you know, again, without giving away some of our secret sauce, you know, we're not just kind of, if you lean left in the real world, we're not just leaning you left. There are tricks we're doing at certain moments to fool the brain into simply feeling a G-force, not necessarily moving you. So there's a lot of kind of, I don't know if it's psychology or what the proper term is. There's a lot of unique physics brain fuckery we're doing. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was, I was just at the airport again and in Sydney and some of the moving walkways weren't working, right? And it's funny, I'd step onto the moving walkway that was still and my body accelerated yeah. like it was anticipating that acceleration. <laughs> and then at the other side, when I stepped off, my body like started to decelerate in anticipation of the change of speed, but it wasn't actually moving. Like it's been programmed in my brain yeah. that that's what happens. And I was thinking about VR in that moment because it's like, this is a great non-VR example of how we can just really trick that brain and inner ear to feeling something that isn't happening. And if it's done right, it can be really magical. And I think you guys have done an amazing job of that. Thank you. And I'll just say, you make a good point in that a lot of what we're fighting against is what we've kind of been conditioned to our whole lives. So you know, what are the next few generations going to face when they grow up with VR? Maybe they won't get motion sickness as easily. Maybe there'll be new problems where, you know, they don't have the same ingrained responses as we do. I also think kids, you know, I noticed that there's, you know, on the age spectrum that, you know, kids seem way less susceptible to it than 
old fucks like me. And, and as I've gotten older, it's gotten worse. Like I used to get motion sickness sitting in the back of a car, but I could go on roller coasters all day long. And now I go on too many, you know, and obviously the roller coasters have got a lot more extreme since I was a kid. But now the coasters even start to get to me. So I think that not only that, but I think if, yeah, so if the kids can do it today, they're not getting triggered by it. They keep doing it. They'll build some sort of immunity up to it. I think that's yeah probably going to happen. Interesting. That's the end of part one of this interview. Please join us for parts two and three shortly.